1: Dr. Doreen Grand is the. Dr. Doreen is
0: an expert in autism.
1: Doreen Grand Dr. Grand
0: Pichet.
2: Dr. Doreen Grand Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I'm here with Dr. Doreen, Dr. Doreen Grampiche herself. Good morning, Dr. Grampiche. Good morning, Shannon. How are you? I'm thrilled to be here. And uh, for, for people who haven't watched the last week or so, I'm here now in our new offices. We're not actually in the studio yet, but I'm here in the office at the studio. And every, every time you, you guys tune in, it's a little bit different. Right. Um, but we're hoping very soon that we're going to be in the studio. And cause we can't wait to welcome Dr. Grampy Shay back to in person. It will be so much fun. Uh, and we can't wait for you to s- see the chairs from the new set.
3: I, <laughs> yes, I, I, I can't wait. wait I can't. fuzzy chairs. I've heard. I'm we we
2: ordered chairs. We did not order fuzzy chairs. Fuzzy chairs came. I still haven't figured that out. Um, yeah don't know whether we're keeping them. Can't wait for you to see them, but uh, it's a topic of conversation. So anyway, for those of you who are new to the show and maybe have never been with us before, and I know that every week that tends to be more and more people, Dr. Doreen Grampiche is an expert in the field of autism. I believe the preeminent expert in the, in the field of autism in our time. And what other time is there really? This is the time. She's been working in this field for over 40 years, over 40 years. It's crazy to think of, but it's true. Yes, she started very young. Still, the math evades me. But uh, she's been working... With people all across the spectrum spectrum from very young babies up through senior citizens, people who have significant challenges, people who have fewer challenges, and everything in between. So she's here and has donated her time for this hour to you guys to answer your questions wherever you are in the world. We take questions literally from anywhere. I personally, because I'm geographically challenged, love when you guys tell us where you're writing in from. That's an extra special treat. Me, we're already saying hello to Susie B. Good morning to you. So, that's it's that easy. What Susie B just did is what you can do. We're live right now. It is Tuesday, May. What is it, May 3rd? There we go. Tomorrow is May the 4th. Be with you. Uh, okay, so uh, it's May 3rd, and we're live right now on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter. And about a dozen other sites and our fabulous Traven is showing you some of those sites right there. Don't forget that later the show will podcast for free. It's available wherever you get your podcast. It's a free download. We're very happy to be able to provide that. We are the number one rated autism podcast worldwide. That's because you guys like, share, tell other people. We're really thrilled. I do want to say that as part of the Autism Network, we've started more and more little podcasts and- we did the first episode on Friday of Stories from the Spectrum it is all content by and for a neurodiverse world so all of the people who did the content are people who identify as being on the spectrum or being neurodiverse we're really proud of that i hope that you'll tune in to watch it i you know i have to brag a little as a mom that one of my son, my, my son has one of the videos that's in there couldn't be prouder hey susan hi from england hope that you'll check that out uh, stories from the spectrum and check out all the other videos that we have that are available to you in our library of videos, because we've been doing this a hot minute. We are in the 11th year, Dr. Pichet. Uh, it. Like who would have thought that that was possible, but it is, we're still kicking and there are still more questions to be answered. So we're, we're thrilled to be able to provide that. Also check out our new website, autismnetwork.com, no hyphens, autismnetwork.com. You don't need to miss the old Autism Live website because it's right there on that network. If you click on Autism Live, it'll take you right to the old autism-live.com website and you'll have all the navigation that you've always had. So no fears. Uh, also, I want to say to you that while Dr. Grampy Shea is a wonderful expert in the field of autism, there is no expert who can give you individual specific advice in this format, right? Because they don't have eyes on the situation. So we ask that you write in, be as specific as possible. Dr. Grampy Shea, don't walk away after you write in because Dr. Grampy Shea will probably have questions for you. And then you can start a dialogue, but realize that she cannot give individual specific advice in this format. However, people write in all the time, Dr. Grampy and say how much your hearing your wisdom has helped them on their path. It's a lovely, lovely thing. Did I leave anything out or is there anything that you wanted to say to get us started? no,
3: No, you covered it. And I'm really excited to try to answer some questions today. We always Start out with a few coming in and then like five minutes into the show, we have about 100 questions and I apologize. If we don't get to answer your questions here today, uh, please send your question to me on uh, TikTok because I am answering questions on TikTok as well. There we go. I totally forgot about
2: TikTok. How could I forget that? Dr. <laughs> Doreen is on TikTok. Ask Dr. Doreen. Please make sure that you follow her there. Shell has written in for the, with the first question saying, hi from Australia. Up late with my son on the spectrum that refuses to uh. sleep at night. Help. Well, first of all, we want to say good evening. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> Although not so good if your kiddo isn't sleeping.
3: Yeah. Sleep is such a major, major issue, and it just is overlooked so many times by doctors because, you know, they think there are so many other things to deal with. But the truth is uh, when our kids don't sleep, they are not producing adrenaline and or a lot of the neurotransmitters go, you know, wacky. And then not just for them, but obviously... As parents, it's probably one of the hardest things we have to endure. So I am a very big uh, supporter of doing everything you possibly can to get your child to sleep. And so I'll give you some ideas, Shell. Um, I don't know if these will help. I don't know the age of your son. It gets a little bit harder as our children age because truthfully, uh, the behavioral part of it becomes a habit. So I believe that with sleep, there's some of it is is behavioral. In other words, some of it is learned Um, and some of it is not behavioral. It's kind of biomedical. And we can talk about both of those things. So the behavioral part. So as a behaviorist, normally what I would advise you is, you know, and usually we do this with children when they're very young. So uh, the, the idea is to find out kind of like, why is your son getting up? And most, oh, so, uh, is it even son? Yes, it is. Yes. And, and why yes. is your son refusing to sleep? And a lot of times a behaviorist's first response to that would be, uh, well, there's, he's receiving or gaining access to some sort of reward when he doesn't sleep. And typically that would be things like, let me translate that into normal life. That would be like, okay, so he's staying up and watching TV, uh, which is a reward, or he's staying up and in bed with you, um, which means that he's basically uh, getting your attention, your time, interaction. And obviously every person, every child would prefer to sleep with their parents. And I see Shell wrote in that he's 11 and nonverbal. So the question is, what is he doing that is entertaining or engaging when he stays awake? And from a behavioral perspective, the response is the the treatment is to not allow him to gain access to anything rewarding of any nature. That includes TV, videos, iPads, computer, uh, your bed, access to you, all of that stuff needs to not happen. And if he chooses to stay awake, he can stay awake, but in his room, uh, in, uh, you know, sleep conditions. So uh, he can have a nightlight or something, but it is sleep conditions. And that is, I know, harder to to do um, than than say, right? <laughs> harder, much harder to do. But the truth is that if you do that, if you are able to do that, and it's very difficult because an 11-year-old will just open the door and come out, Um, and basically it comes down to making sure he understands that no matter how many times he comes out, he's got to go back in, and those are the circumstances. And with sleep issues, it does, when you're working on it, the treatment, the behavioral treatment is tough because you're going to be up a few nights, like maybe three or four nights of kind of taking him back to his room and putting him in his bed and just not allowing any stimulation. Food is a big one too. No food, no drink, all of those types of things. And that'll keep you up. But uh, our kids are very smart and they do learn that I'm not going to get anything useful out of staying awake. So that is a tough one. He, he. I just read. Shell wrote. He just runs up and down and bounces on the bed. He don't. He doesn't have TV or iPad. Perfect. Shell. Thank you for that, because the, this is where, for me, as a psychologist and a behaviorist, I, this is where I think the biomedical stuff comes in. And and most behaviorists will just say, well, you just have to stay with it and let him keep doing that. I feel that something else is going on with our kids when they do that behavior. And that is a pretty honestly frequent thing where our kids are just wired, wired, and they cannot get their sleep cycle in order. That is when I recommend two things. One is please talk to your pediatrician and make sure and emphasize that that, uh, videotape. Actually, a parent did this for me one time. I remember talking to a parent and I was saying, have you talked to your pediatrician about the fact that he stays up all night? And they said, yes, I have. Uh, Pediatricians don't take it seriously. I think if you videotape him, it is a little bit more impactful when you go to talk to the doctor and show them that, you know what, he's just wired and he's jumping up and down pediatrician will most likely recommend some medication for sleep, the first one being melatonin. And I do strongly support melatonin, but you have to test it out. Some children will take melatonin and then they'll sleep. I mean, melatonin will put you out, but they wake up about four hours later. So you really try, want to try to get a melatonin that is sort of sustained release, or you want to combine the melatonin with something else like diphenhydramine, which physicians will allow you to do and will guide you. I don't want to guide you on that. I'm not a physician, but I do really recommend. And melatonin, obviously, is, is you can buy it everywhere, right? Um, and so I think that would be a good start Now, when, if you do use melatonin and your child wakes up in the middle of the night and comes out to you, you're going to have to take them back again and uh, make sure they go back to sleep. And I don't know his weight, but usually 11 or 12 year old boys are going to be the same weight as a, as a small adult. So they can probably take the adult dosage of the melatonin, which by the way, you know, as an adult, you can take six, 10 milligrams of melatonin. I'm not saying you should do that because if your child has not had it before, you want to start with a very low dose. And as I said, do this with your physician's knowledge and guidance. But it does help. Um, I am one of those people that doesn't sleep. I will stay awake literally until three in the morning if I don't take melatonin and maybe even longer, maybe even four. And for me, unfortunately, I am also one of those people that takes well, so I I, have, I take this brand called Tranquil Sleep, but it, I still wake up about four to five hours later and it's super difficult to get back to sleep. So I sometimes when I know that I just need more than four or five hours of sleep, I will combine it with Benadryl, which is pretty harmless. And then I will sleep the night. But again, there are solutions for this, and this is very, very important. Now, it's a whole different thing for children. And also, there's other things, by the way. Make sure he's not eating too much sugar. Make sure he's not eating uh, red food coloring or preservatives. A lot of times, our kids are so sensitive. These types of things, their diet actually keeps them wired, So you really have to try those things. Try all the things that people tell you. Because honestly, things like, you know, chamomile uh, tea or uh, just having like some plant-based, like oat milk with honey, those types of things actually do help the system calm down. Uh, Make sure, and this is the toughest part because our kids don't talk, So make sure that he's not struggling with pain. Uh, A lot of my kids who don't sleep have gastrointestinal issues uh, that keep them up at night um, or other. And and also, of course, I mean, it's like so many things you have to think of with your child, with our kids, because they don't talk. Um, Make sure it's not fear based, like give him a nightlight, you know, give him something entertaining to like. If he is one who likes books or likes something that is um, calming, you know, a lot of us, if you read a book, will actually fall asleep. Uh, those types of things should be reserved for the evening time. Have a bedtime routine. Routines are extremely helpful where, you know, you go together and you read a story, maybe listen to calming music. I remember when my kids were young and I would go read them a story. I'd have this kind of piano music in the background and I swear I'd fall asleep before I was finished reading the story. So those are all things that, that are ideas. Sometimes we just get wiped out and exhausted when our kids don't sleep. So, you know, we just give up, but please don't give up. And if you are at that exhaustion phase, find a friend who can help for a few nights or, or your spouse perhaps. But those are some things to try. Absolutely. Absolutely. At, at some point,
2: we're going to do a video, Dr. Grant Fichet, where we just go through the sleep stuff and where we just go through the potty training stuff, because I think we get That's those questions. Issue, yeah. yeah, we just need to do that. Uh, Christina has written in, and Christina, so glad to have you with us this morning. I want to tell you that I've been loving watching uh, the videos of your son bowling on Facebook. It's been super fun. Uh, but she writes in and says, we're trying to work on elopement issues. Uh, For some reason, separation anxiety has been very high. He has eloped with a support person while I'm at work. Thankfully, he only made it out the door and was caught before he made it to our driveway. That's happened four times in the last month, and it's very scary. Um, I thought she wrote in more, but she didn't. Uh, So elopement, this is the time of year that we get a lot of people asking about elopement and worse, we get a lot of stories of elopement that don't have happy endings. So I'm glad that Christina has brought it up. We're all going to not like this conversation, but
3: it's an important one, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've had, you definitely have to deal with this one. And I'm glad that at least you have a support person. I hope that they are trained behaviorally, Uh, Christina, I know you, you probably have gotten them some form of training. If not, please do, because elopement or running away uh, is one of those things that is very uh, much a behavioral issue to be dealt with and can be dealt with with ABA protocols. So my suggestion is to really have that person specifically work on this issue or the people who are in your life specifically work on the elopement and essentially the way that, and and, okay, so with elopement, the first thing you do is you want to make sure there's safety. So before I even go into behavioral techniques, you want to make sure the doors have alarms and these are not expensive. You can purchase these and put them on every single door. So when a door of the house opens, somebody hears it. So that's super important because I've had so many children unfortunately run away in, in very dangerous spots. So that's one thing. The second thing is when you go out, I I would use one of those. I'm not even sure. I think they're called child harnesses. I'm not sure what they're they're called, but they are a safety. Uh, thing that you kind of attach to your child so that if they run off at some it ends right they cannot run off and basically using that and they're manufactured for children uh, using that I would then gradually shape the behavior of the opposite of elopement which is stay with me Staying with me, you reward staying with you, or the the uh, care person, the support person does that, and uh, so just, and then gradually you will remove the harness thing, and the the child will stay with the support person as long as they are rewarding the behavior of staying. So uh, there, you should maybe select something that is high, high, high reward. And only the support person can give it to your child. Only when your child responds to the, to the instruction, stay or stay with me. And so the support person would have the harness, but it would also say, stay with me. And of course, as they're walking together, they would give them the uh, re- reward or reinforcer, whatever it is. And then gradually they would have the child come back and stay with them. Uh, every behaviorist will know the elopement uh, procedures because it's a very common behavior. But the idea is not necessarily to, uh, you know, you can't really reprimand. A lot of times our kids don't understand reprimand. So it's not about dealing with the actual running away, but it's the rewarding of the opposite of that, which is not running away and staying with you. And, you know, you should try, they should, I highly recommend whenever we do these programs, we have at least two people because there's someone sort of at a further distance, like a therapist at a distance who's also watching, um, as well as the therapist who is working on the elopement with the child, because sooner or later, you're going to remove that harness. And it is really important that the child does not successfully run away from you because a lot of the reward is that that uh, that you know that you running after them, the chase, and you don't want to allow the chase to even happen, which is why it's important to keep them really close and do this kind of at a, a very very gradual shaping procedure. She wrote in and said that they do have locks, alarms, and signs
2: too. She's trying to get help with fencing. Uh, she says he leaves when unsupervised, and he is smart and knows how to undo the locks. It's
3: very scary. It is very, very scary. And you know, if he leaves when unsupervised and actually is getting through the locks, uh, you may want to put a lock high up where he can't reach it. It's very important to do that. You you would be surprised. Our kids are brilliant at figuring out how to get out. And you just like. One of the most important things. And you know what? Tell your team to just work on this one issue. It's a very important issue. Yeah. And and it seems like to me, you know, I I remember when ACT,
2: we had a whole um, protocol that we were promoting, which was about stop, four steps um, to do things. But one of them is, you know, working with people to figure out what it is that they're trying to run to. Like where where is he trying to elope to what is the thing? Have we taken the time to teach him how to appropriately ask for and earn the right to be able to go to that thing? Because yes, this this is tough. This is really tough stuff, but it's a
3: serious thing. sounds like this, it sounds like he is running away only with the support people. And it sounds like it happens because he's anxious and looking for mom. I'm not sure if that is the case, then you do want to bring that into the protocol, right? Because you want to make sure that uh, he has other ways of accessing you um, and running away is not one of those.
2: Okay. Oh, and she says he gets the chair to get the top lock. He's a very clever boy. Um but you mentioned that you have alarms uh and if he is able to do the locks if there are alarms that go off it's not foolproof but you know it's one of those things that the top
3: priority has to be keeping well, him safe I mean, on honestly you know worst case scenario get locks that require a key there and you know. hide the key i there
1: mean you know. there are
3: ways to prevent it but those types of things also become kind of a fire hazard and are a little bit dangerous that's why i really Suggest that you, you know, for that, that's a little bit different, Christina, than running away outside, which is sort of what we started to talk about. Running out of the house is kind of a little bit of a different thing. You can have your therapist teaching, teach him to always get an adult if he wants to go out of the house and so going out of the house requires holding the hand of an adult that becomes a lesson and they work on it at the door where he if he goes out he is said no turn around put him back in if he goes out holding someone's hand he's rewarded and that's a pretty simple protocol that that, like i said Everything you really have to kind of teach it within its parameters, within its environment, using the exact situation so that you're you're dealing with the real cause.
2: There we go. NH Pop says my four and a half year old ASD son is making progress, especially with cognition and language, but still struggles with attention. He often gets stuck in his own mind thinking about things or whispering under his breath and doesn't tune in. When he does tune in, he can answer questions including how and why and do simple math reading and talks mostly in full sentence with decent grammar. But he, uh, And he doesn't really stim other than a little vocal stimming. So I think he needs this in his head time to decompress, but he also needs to pay attention for school. Will this improve in time and how to I help?
3: It's a great question. It's a great question. It's a fabulous question. I wish I knew your son because an observation of this behavior would really help me. There's two thoughts that come to mind. One is, well, there's actually three thoughts that come to mind. The first is, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe he does need sometimes, maybe he does need a little bit of, you know, just kind of thinking things through. Or he just needs to like slow down and then come back. That's a possibility. I my my initial two thoughts. One was that he has he, he needs more time to process. That's the first thought I had, which sometimes our kids do have a longer processing time. If you were to if you could, if, if it was my child, I would find a psychologist or neuropsychologist, and I would have them to, uh, administer a test called the NEPSY. N E P S Y E is spelled in a weird way. And um, this test, one of the subtests of the NEPSY is processing speed. Um, And you'll learn very much about how fast he is processing information. Sometimes it takes, you know, I got to go back and talk about this for a minute, which is, you know, we learn things over the course of a lifetime, very long period of time. Right. We year one, we learn certain things. Year two, we learn certain things. And so we have time to categorize these think of it your brain as kind of a library system and so you know the first things that you learn are your needs and they go into spots in your in your thinking your mind and then the second thing is just like labels of objects then those are classified and then functions of objects and those are classified and so when you go back and you want to retrieve information you can do it a lot faster because things are organized in a certain way kind of like a library system. But our kids, they learn things super rapidly because we're piling on this kind of ABA and tutoring and speech, you know, everything, right? And so when they learn everything in a condensed period of time, sometimes they don't really have the time yet to classify things the way they should. So it's kind of like the a child might be able to retrieve, oh, um, you know, the thing that I sit at at school is a desk but they won't retrieve, oh, the thing that you know holds my books is a desk. Do you know what I mean? So like some aspects of what they've learned haven't been classified yet. So it they might take a longer period of time to process, which is totally fine. And he will catch up with that. That, that will catch up because he sounds like he's learning very, very rapidly. Now, the other thought I had was I would... I would actually see a psychologist. I mean, the NEPSI will also help with this, but maybe figure out if he also has ADHD. Sometimes our kids have you know, dual diagnosis and they have a lot of difficulty attending to one stimulus. ADHD is a little bit different. Than just kind of inability to pay attention in autism, and the difference is kind of interesting and subtle. Someone who's a good diagnostician can can see the difference. With kids with, who have ADHD, they their the speed of fun their speed in their head is so fast that they miss some stuff stimuli that are going on around them. It's different than receiving the stimuli and taking time to process it they miss the stimuli because they're just processing so fast they're going so fast and you can see this um, with kids with with adhd it's when you slow them down they start to see a lot more of what's going on around them and they answer they process faster and they answer faster it's an ongoing thing. If a child has ADHD on top of the autism, it is it will be a lifelong uh, process for them to teach themselves to slow down um, and pay attention. And of course, the other alternative, if your child actually does have some symptoms of ADHD, is medication for ADHD. Medication for ADHD, and a lot of parents don't really like the medication for ADHD, but some parents have found that it is a lifesaver. And so I'm open to everything. And that's another suggestion is to talk to a a psychologist who specializes in, um, you know, childhood mental disorders, I guess, which include ADHD, include autism, and they can do some testing and help you figure this out. Um, I'm not worried about it because he's learning so fast. Um, but he, but he, and he, it, the other side of it is because he's learning so fast, you kind of want to give him every resource and every tool. So it would be good to do this testing because you, maybe there is some way that you can make things even easier for him, which is always what we're hoping to do.
2: There we go. Uh, they further wrote in and said, I think, uh, he may have some so- slow processing speed, but the reason I don't think that is all, um, uh, all of it is sometimes he enter answers pretty quick. And other times when he's tuned out, it's very slow or not mm-hmm. at all. Um, yeah. and they said, so it's sort of all or nothing, but help me Dr. Grampy because I, Listen, I'm surrounded by a lot of creative people and they get in that zone when they're when they're being creative and sometimes they're they're in a zone where they've completely tuned everyone and everything else cuz they're so focused on what they're doing and then other times they're very focused on what they're doing but they are capable of taking in everything that's going on same person yeah. I don't really completely understand they're that good. yeah but I, but I know that sometimes sometimes our kids are figuring out still at
3: this point how to process those those things um I don't don't know that okay so like I'll talk about that for a minute and see if you agree Shannon my my feeling is that all of us have some strengths internally in our minds right like a creative artist, for instance, sees things differently, mm-hmm. and when they're in that zone, uh, yeah, you got to call them a couple of times to get them out of that zone to pay attention. Um, and the same would be said of, you know, like brilliant musicians, and or even uh, someone, you know, who's very, very good at, let's say, Excel worksheets, or. Uh, very good at problem solving or even someone who is really involved in carpentry or whenever we're very focused on something it's a very common thing for us to block out other stimuli because we've learned to do that because if we didn't do that we wouldn't be able to focus i mean so that's that's a very uh, clear thing I guess for me, it goes back to what I always say is that there's no problem with that as long as you are functioning well. There we go. That's it. There's a problem if it starts to affect your classwork, if it starts to affect your personal relationship, if it starts to affect your work. And you know, Shannon, that's one of the things I really love about the diagnostic manual is that it starts with that premise. We're all different, and we all have strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes we focus on things and you, you know have a harder time folks. Like there's all these things, right? We all have differences in, in our brains. It's not a problem unless it starts to affect some aspect of life. If it's a child, you're looking at the social relationships with the family as well as school. If those things are affected, then it's a problem. When it's an adult, we're talking at functioning in your home life again, family, friends, and work. And if if all of those are fine, I mean, I always give the example of alcohol dependency. You know, there are a lot of people that drink a ton of alcohol, but they have very very functional lives, and you'd never know it. You yeah, know, they're responsible people and they their family loves them. They're great at work and it's totally fine. They have high redox, so good luck to them, you know. But the issue is it's not, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. For our kids, it is usually a problem because we're trying to catch them up too, right? They're trying to learn faster than the typical child even. And so we want to give them every possible means of being able to attend and multitask you know there's a very interesting uh test that is done with kids with autism other kids as well um it's called stroop and this test is fascinating because it shows it, it highlights one of the issues that we see with a lot of our kids with autism and actually you see this with lots of people not just kids with autism and you guys can Test this yourselves. The test is uh, done in multiple different ways. But for example, take a piece of paper and write in different spots, just all over the page, write the numbers, like one, two, three, four, five, like this, you know, spread out. And then do the same thing on that same paper, do it with the alphabet and do like A, B, C, D, E, like that, right? All the way through. And then test yourself and test someone else. Time it. And your goal is to go from 1 to A to 2 to B to 3, C, and so on, 4, D, et cetera. And you draw a line, 1 to A, two, like that, all through until you're done, right? And you'll see that your processing speed is quite different from anyone else's. Everybody has a different processing speed. That's one way of measuring it. Another thing, another test that is really good at, that's, that's called set shifting. And we do have difficulty in autism. A lot of people have difficulty with set shifting. Uh, that's kind of like when, you know, they're focused on the TV and mom is calling them. They have a hard time focusing, stopping focusing and then coming back that's shifting a cognitive set other types of brain activities that's why i love the nepsy so much so much because these things come out in testing is a test where you basically will have things written like the names of colors written in different colors so the the let the word blue is written in red and the the word yellow is written in blue that sort of thing And then I tell you, tell me what you read. And then I tell you, tell me what color you see. And these are extremely confusing things for people. And people, you get, some people are very, very fast at it. And others are, and it takes very hard time for others. And that is the ability to actually separate two aspects of, two stimuli, two features of something when one is more prominent than the other. And so those types of activities, by the way, are just helpful in trying to get processing speed to increase. But, you know, before you wanna go there, you just wanna do a test and find out if that is even the issue or not.
2: They wanna know what the name of the test was again, Dr. Grampy-Shane. Stroop,
3: S-T-R-O-O-P.
2: And, and a lot of those tests, they do them now on those apps that are like Brain Age. Uh, Traven was mentioning that there's one on TikTok. Mm-hmm. They're pretty out there, um, all over the place, but um, very good. I want to <laughs> say Michelle Clemens, who wrote. Quick question, but how does Dr. Doreen look like? She's in her twenties? Question mark. Yeah. I know. I ask that every week, Michelle. Um, yes, You're I, very I, kind, Michelle. Yeah.
3: Shannon, you have to. We have to share that. I last week on I don't know Thursday or something, two, Wednesday or Thursday, I was moving a shelf, uh, a box from my bookshelf, and I have a very very big bookshelf in my main living room. And on the top of the box was a little statuette of one of my dogs that has passed away. And this thing is made of concrete, right? And it fell on my face. I mean, you saw the pictures from like three days ago. I'm still very numb right here. And I have a lot of makeup on, but it was a pretty horrendous, uh like experience. So thank you for that, Michelle, because I have to put a lot of extra gunk on my face today.
2: <laughs> you just look a little bee stung, which is very popular here in LA. Uh, you look good. Yes. No, we're all asking that question, Michelle, how I, I have a theory that working with children keeps you young. Cause if you look at the therapist, they all look really young too. So there you go. Uh, and I think doing what you love helps you to stay uh, looking younger. So, uh, let's all try to do that. Work with children and do what we love. Love Life says, do you recommend taking a break from therapy? My son has been in therapies for many years. We are taking a break from OT because he seems to be frustrated lately. I don't want to take an, a, a break from ABA or speech, but what are your feelings on that? I,
3: I mean... I would, I don't know that I would take a break, but if you feel like he is not enjoying it, then there's a problem there. So I would probably have a conversation with the therapist or with the organization and tell them that you're on the verge of taking a break because he really does, seems only frustrated. So this goes back to the thing we were talking about, Shannon, which is like, therapy therapy not doesn't only need to be fair it needs to be fun like or rewarding because honestly why why else like why is the child doing you know four or five hours of extra work it's like anything else right it has to be rewarding and so if it's not we got to change something about therapy it's there Child should not be frustrated. A lot of stuff that could be changed. Here are some ideas. First of all, a lot of times my kids get frustrated if it's r- the repetition is too easy. So they've passed a certain point. So this is ABA. Let me just back up a second. With ABA, a lot of times you want to master, you want to set what's called mastery criteria. And mastery criteria, it's kind of like, I want to make sure this child can do this particular task at 90% every single time I do it. Uh, So they're correct 90% of the time. That mastery criteria might cause frustration for some kids because they're ready to move on. And if that's the case, the therapist or the BCBA in charge needs to kind of figure that out and put in some stuff that's a little bit more challenging, maybe lower the mastery criteria to 80% and go fast and then come back and do maintenance criteria. So like you check out, you move on to the next lesson at 80 when this one hits 80%, but you're going to check back on this one and make sure you didn't forget it, that kind of thing. But that's, so that's one thing. The other thing is sometimes our kids just get kind of, uh, they tune out or they get frustrated because the mode of presentation is not their strongest mode. So like I always want to check and make sure the child is, um I, I'm presenting things either visually when it's a very strong visual child or I'm presenting them in a quiet environment when my child is very easily distractible by sounds um, those types of so it's the teaching style and sensory input has to be correct another thing is like the difficulty level, it might just be too difficult. Let's go back and give him prerequisites that he's missing, because those are the things that would make this possible. Another thing is, is it is the frustration happening only with one therapist? Sometimes it's just one therapist who's not that good um, or, you know, has had some interaction with your child or the child doesn't want to get along with this person. And then, of course, the overarching and most important one is, is there enough reinforcement? And and the whole thing with reinforcers is the task level and the reinforcer level. There's a balance that goes on all the time. So when it's a new task, there's got to be you start with very small difficulty level because it's new so the demand level is low and the reinforcer level has to be huge. So it's a very small request and a big reward. And this gradually shifts, right? So as the child masters this particular task, the reward level can go down, but now we're going to introduce a new task, which means the reward level goes up again. And so that has to be a constant thing going on. you know. And so it's something about the ABA. I wouldn't, Discontinue. Um, I would just go back in and talk to people and make sure that they increase the reward level. Um, And, you know, sometimes they can also just throw in activities that are more fun. Like I will, one of my kids that I have right now, he is very tired in the afternoon, he just can't focus. So right after lunch, I have every single day, I have an hour of OT scheduled for him, which really kind of wakes him up, which is mostly on his trampoline and a lot of physical activity getting him up. And then in the afternoons, I have mostly like either adaptive behaviors at home or things like hypotherapy and active things, because that's the way that he, I need to do it for him. Every child is different and you kind of have to pay attention to that.
2: Yeah, and and they went on to say that um, I feel like the OT doesn't really understand how to handle behaviors; that's not their expertise. He is fine in ABA, and okay. since OT is only thirty minutes, I feel like the therapist just wants to get things done. Definitely not high enough reinforcement. Um, and, and you know, I when my son first was diagnosed in school, gave us OT. Uh, I am going to say this, and then it's going to I am going to hear about it. But we had an OT who was just terrible just horrible, who really didn't get it. And it was an epic waste of our time. And so that was my judgment of all OT. I was like, it's just an epic waste of time. Then I met some OTs who are brilliant. And it's an entirely different thing. I feel like there are other people that judge ABA the opposite, right? That they're with somebody who's not really doing good ABA and they go, oh, ABA is just a waste of time. Whereas I had ABA therapists that blew my mind on a daily basis and had my kids so excited and learning. So, you know, I think that when it's 30 minutes, because that's what it's been legislated and the person is not not good. And it's dragging your child down. I, I, you know, I feel like you've got a choice either go in there and fight and get somebody else and say, I want a different OT or this OT has to step it up. Yes. Or when it's 30 minutes, I I think, you know, find something better to do with your
3: time. Yeah. And, and I apologize. Cause I missed that part that he's fine in ABA, but it's the OT change your OT. Yeah. Yeah. OT is not a I There should be no frustration during OT. <laughs> OT is more fun and actually self-regulating and most of our kids enjoy it and it helps them kind of wake up and pay attention and so on.
2: Uh now, Amanda brought up something really interesting though she's because we talked about the taking a break. She said there are children's hospitals that do this right now. It's called episodes of care. She says, "I hate it. They force family to take breaks. We're aware of this. there are grants in different states that do this oh yeah i I think it is criminal and and I you know parents can see when they're in the middle of it that just when your child is starting to make progress, they say, Oh, time to take a break now." Um, it's maddening, Dr. Grand Pichet.
3: Yeah, it really is.
2: I, I don't advocate that. I do think that there is this interesting thing that we all have a different temperature meter of how frustrated we're willing to let our children be. And, that, um, yes. and And there's a very fine line between when, like you were saying, it might be that the lesson is too hard and we need to teach them other skills to get them to do the thing, Or it could be the exact opposite, that your child is bored bananas and and they need to have something else. And I think that that's often a place where when you don't have somebody who's good, who's looking at that and seeing that for your child can be really important. It's like, when do we, but none of that, none of the, none of the um, remedy for that is to stop.
3: No, it never is. And we always talk about that. That's one of the things that I Miss from doing ABA the way it's meant to be, you know. One of when I when I started doing ABA, obviously there was no funding, right? Because it was the Flintstone age when I started doing ABA. But realistically, there was no funding, but that allowed us to do what was important, right? So, in other words, we were not. We were not controlled by uh, health insurance policies. And one of the things that I still to this day think is one of the most important things we used to do that are, is not allowed today um, was what we called clinic meetings. And clinic meetings were when the supervisor, which now would be a BCBA, would sit with the parents, the child, and all of the staff, the BTs or behavior therapists or technicians. And everyone, it was a two hour session, and everyone would go around and demonstrate working with the child on what they did this week and how the child did. And all of us would cheer, and when he had successes, and we would problem solve when he didn't. And so that would allow the supervisor to see every reaction that the child had. And it was very easy then to see when things are too easy, as you said, too hard or if that's when you would start problem solving things like oh it looks like he needs a visual prompt it looks like he needs this or he needs that things have changed so much it's so difficult now because supervisors are not allowed to overlap with a group of therapists so in best case scenario a supervisor or a BCBA will have an overlap with one BT which a lot of organizations don't even do that and 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 so the person who's designing the program, the supervisor, the person who's moving lessons up or down, doesn't get to work directly or doesn't get to see the child's boredom, excitement, response to reward. It's kind of like just has lost that, unfortunately. But it is very important to observe because successful ABA is just that it's successful. The child is enjoying it. They're thriving, they're learning, they're moving forward all the time. i tell you, I,
2: at some point, you know, if I had another life that I could lead, what, one of the things that I'd like to do is band together with a bunch of parents that are like me, that their children have been through good ABA and at a time when clinics were allowed and to lobby hard. I don't know for insurance reform to allow these clinics because the other thing that it does, Dr. Grant Pichet, and I watched this for five years, is that you know, all the therapists have their own sort of style. They do things their own sort of way. Absolutely. And when you have your whole team in the room and one of them does one lesson and they do it a different way, everybody learns. The parent learns, the whole team learns, everybody gets excited, everybody's like, ooh, I can't wait to try that. And it just it feeds the whole thing. And we know this model works because that's how all teaching hospitals are. They do the rounds and everybody gets to to watch and learn and watch other people present and do things. We know that it works and we know that insurance pays for it sometimes. They just, insurance doesn't understand how pivotal this is to success with ABA. And I do think that it's only going to be parents that are going to be able to change that. Um, Always.
3: As always, the parents, yeah.
2: So I got to get to this question that came in uh, last Friday from a viewer in Jakarta, Indonesia. They said um, that their son was diagnosed with social communication disorder at two. At that point, they began therapy, sensory integration, speech therapy, occupational therapy, floor time, behavior therapy, but not ABA at that time, play group with shadow teacher, um, and that he could mention words, animals, vegetables, fruits uh, at two years, nine months. Since that time, at two years, 10 months, he was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, and they immediately started ABA at three years old. For starter, they did 20 hours a week at home, and now they've increased to 30 hours a week, but they're doing it with different centers wow. because in India, there are maximum hours per week that they can do at a single cent- center. So now the child is uh, three years old, three months, he can mention more functional words, he can tact. Mand, he wants milk he wants his mom to accompany him he wants to sleep etc um well they said that not so much no aggressive or challenging behaviors he's a sweet boy who can hug his dad and mom and grandpa knows his name and how did uh how old he is uh they've the aba therapy has increased his eye contact they've also done a little biomedical therapy with antifungal for yeast overgrowth planning diet um and job. and planning uh, methyl B twelve shots. My questions are: Is it right to join three centers, one for home service and two in other centers with ABA uh, VB MAP? directed by a BCBA. And what is your opinion about ABLES and ABA verbal behavior? Because the centers use these two methods for assessment and therapy. And last, the pediatrician gave my son risperidone, a a very small dose daily, although he has not shown any challenging or aggressive behavior. And is this, in your opinion, right? Thank you very much. And they say they're a big fan of the show. So we're sending them um,
3: hugs and love. So big hug and... Congratulations, because I think your child is doing extremely well. And I'm very excited for you. This is a very young child. Gives me goosebumps whenever I hear the bio of a child like this, because these are clearly your child is learning really, really fast. And in normal circumstances, I would say, no, you don't want to have three different centers. Everybody's going to be doing things differently. But. In your situation, I'm actually going to say it's fine. It's totally fine. Because first of all, your child's learning fast. And I think you should credit yourself for having done a lot of stuff absolutely correctly. Good job. Um, And, you know, it doesn't seem like the three centers are hindering your child's progress. In fact, it might even be helping him generalize. It's totally fine. The ABLEs is very, is VBMAP, map is, if verbal behavior is a form of, is, is teaching, which is a, you know, a big part of ABA as a whole. It's the concepts that we use in ABA to apply to language learning. And map and WebABLEs, they all use verbal behavior, so it's totally fine. You're not doing anything conflicting. Um, I wouldn't want to reduce hours. And if there's a weird thing in Indonesia that says you can only get certain hours at each center, is it Indonesia they're in, Shannon? Yes,
2: and I think I said India because it was abbreviated, but they're in Indonesia, yes.
3: Yeah, so I mean, I wouldn't cut the hours. I'd keep the three centers just so that your child can continue to get the hours they're getting. So I wouldn't change any of that. I think what you've done is fantastic. The only portion I would change is the Risperdal. I don't think a child that is learning this fast and is doing this well and doesn't seem to have challenging behaviors or self-stimulatory behaviors requires Risperdal. I would talk to the physician about that um, and maybe fade him off and see how that goes. But I think everything else you're doing sounds great. Keep going with it.
2: Now, Mariella had written in earlier and said, "Whenever I try to bring up medication, I feel like I get judged by doctors." What are your thoughts on adding uh, B twelve and B six to his diet? Will this help?
3: Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. First of all, I it's like it, it's like our, our you know life isn't hard enough managing for a child with on the spectrum, and then you go to a doctor and and they. Kind of give you a guilt trip where they're like, no, you know, and that's just you're going to the wrong doctors. (laughs) So those doctors are the doctors. A lot of Western medicine doctors kind of see autism as a lifelong thing. And they sort of want parents to just get used to it. And that isn't where I come from. So my recommendation to you is, and some children do benefit from the vitamin Bs, 100%, and 12 and 6 are very, very different. But you should definitely transfer over and see a physician, a pediatrician, who is trained in the alternative uh, types of treatments, medical treatments. Um, and these physicians currently can be found on a website called MedMaps. It's an organization called um, Maps Doctors, right? And their website is MedMaps.org, I think. And if Trayvon could put that up, that would be great. And yeah, and if you go on this website, you'll find physicians close to you because they kind of list them by state. So And uh, I would see that kind of doctor and they can do a bunch of tests and tell you whether or not your child will benefit from B6, B12 and any other supplements as well. So I would really recommend that you do not give up. And there are a lot of really good supplements and homeopathic treatments as well as just standard medical treatments that are good for our kids and help them a lot.
2: And I missed before that, and I apologize, Mariella. She said that her child has been doing ABA for about three years now. He's six years old. He says ba and papa, which is great, and I encourage him, but I wonder if medication can help him focus and encourage speech.
3: Yes, sometimes medication does help pretty significantly, as you heard from the other parent who was in Indonesia, and they had also done, you know, it's not always just medication. So, like, medications, there are only a couple of medications that are just, you know, standard meds for autism. but And they, they mostly focus on reducing challenging behavior. But there are medications that treat underlying issues. So, for instance, if a child is not sleeping, we can help them sleep with medication. If a child is extremely rigid and has these, like, unbelievable routines that are very obsessive in nature then a serotonin reuptake inhibitor type of medication can help. If a child child is overwhelmed with sensory uh, stimulation and is very anxious because of that, again, SSRIs might be able to help that. So there are things that help our kids feel better. And then, of course, there's diets. And sometimes our kids have like fungal issues or They've developed clostridia or bacterial overgrowths of different types. Or, and all of these things are holding them back from be, having a clear mind and being able to learn better. So all of those things have to be treated. It's just like you and I. If you go out and you have a food that doesn't treat you well, and you know, you're know you going to be sick overnight, and you don't sleep, and the next day you're going to be kind of out of it and not able to learn And so we want to make sure that our kids are very, very healthy, very, very stable from a medical perspective, because that helps their brain function better, learn better. And that's what it's all about.
2: Okay, we got to go. We're, all, we're out of time. But I just want to say Mariela written in two things. And the first thing I want to say, Mariella, is that, you know, the phrase when you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. It's so hard as a parent, because you meet other parents, and, and we immediately go, what are they doing? And, and it's good to ask those questions. But we do have to remember that every single individual is that Every single child is an individual. And, uh, you know, I, you reference somebody who has twin boys with autism that they didn't take medication. So it feels like you shouldn't either. Let's remember that your child is their own little ecosystem and that things are going to be different for them um i I love that you said that he's been off dairy for about five months and you started using pecs she also said though that i feel like he wants to speak so much but the words get stuck and so are we safe to tell her to look up apraxia to see is that
3: certainly certainly you can look up apraxia which is just low muscle tone in the tongue and there are exercises that a speech patho- pathologist can give you as well. But I also think that, you know, you should be seeing some results when you do things like dietary change. Sometimes those things, and the fact that he started using Pecs is great because sometimes our kids actually, uh, you want to make sure that he has a form of communication, even if it's non-vocal, because otherwise our kids get frustrated. You know, and you don't want them being frustrated. You want them to really be able to communicate.
2: And welcome, Karen Rose. We saw that you just logged on and we're, we're like three minutes over time here. But I want to remind everybody, if you still have questions, switch over to TikTok and put your questions in to Ask Dr. Doreen on TikTok. She answers questions throughout the week and, and we'll, we'll be, be back too. with her next week. Um, here live for you guys to uh, ask questions. I want to remind everyone we're back tomorrow with an episode of Autism Live. We'll have more jargon tomorrow. And we're welcoming back um, some of the artists from Spec Labs. I'm not even sure who we're having on tomorrow, but if you watched... Friday's first episode of Stories from the Spectrum. It was all content created by people who are on the spectrum or classify themselves as neurodiverse. And two of the segments were from students that were from Spec Lab. So if you're wondering how do people get to the point where they're able to do that kind of work, make sure that you tune in tomorrow. And we've got two amazing authors that are going to be with us on Thursday. You're going to want to see all of that, um, but we've got to go. So until tomorrow, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Thank Thank you, Dr. Shea, and thank you to all of you. Thanks, everyone. Bye
0: bye for now. Bye bye. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful, time-tested gift around—a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.
1: America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. This Valentine's Day, Dunkin's got the perfect pairings to show your love. So get down on one knee with a dozen brownie batter donuts and a cocoa mocha signature latte. Or make them swoon with a strawberry dragon fruit Dunkin' refresher with a Cupid's Choice Donut. Are you ready for love? America runs on Duncan. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer.